Glad you're here. Um, thrilled about continuing our time uh, in the book of Hebrews. We've been in the book of Hebrews uh, for uh, a few weeks now, four, five weeks. And so um, uh, we're, we're thrilled. We're just continuing to talk about how Jesus is greater. And this book, it, this author is wants to make sure that the people he's writing it to, which we believe were Jewish Christians, they had this Jewish heritage, understand a, a deep understanding of tradition and the scriptures, the Old Testament. He wants to make sure that in, whether it's persecution or suffering, um, whatever this being, trying to be convinced or pulled away to other things, that they realize Jesus actually is greater. And so he's going to go through all the things that might pull them away or might draw them even back um, to Judaism. And he's going to say, but do you see how Jesus is greater? I got a little um, summary here of the first two chapters. We've been through chapter one and two now. We're just starting three. And so we're going to do a little review of one and two. Uh, Real quick here, just so we uh, remember what it is. First of all, right away we were were reminded or told Jesus is the ultimate. He is superior. He is the greatest. Kind of this introduction to all that we're going to learn in in the book of Hebrews. And then we learn that Jesus is greater than Old Testament prophets who, who spoke for God, is greater than angels. He is greater than the Old Testament law. His gospel that he brings is greater than the law that was brought down by Moses. He is 100% human. He had to be so he could suffer for us like us, Um, but he's also 100% God, which means he rose from the dead. He could not not be defeated by uh, death and sin and Satan, but instead defeats death and sin and Satan. Um, and so we have a Jesus who is equal to humans and gods and understands our suffering. We also learn that Jesus is uh, the pioneer, the trailblazer, the one who pulled us out. Last week, we remember, pulled us out through the jungle, chopped his way through and brought us to safety in a way we never could have rescuing us. And so as we get to verse chapter three here, um, we're going to continue to hear what does this look like to see Jesus as the greatest? And why is it so important that over and over we hear this? Um, this week we're going to talk um, and look at who the Jews would have seen as the greatest, right? The goat, the greatest of all time. I think it's cool timing in the fact we're hearing a lot about this in sports news. This week we're, ta- we're talking about the Super Bowl coming up a lot. And they're talking about the GOAT, right? Tom Brady, the, is he the greatest quarterback of all time? And they're talking about the little GOAT, who uh, Patrick Mahomes, who is he the little GOAT? Is he going to be one of the greatest of all times? And, and I think that's an accurate way that people would see Moses. We're going to get a little bit to that. For, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're going to look really at who the Jewish people would have seen as the greatest um, and, and why the author is going to say, Jesus is even greater than who you think is the greatest. Let's just start right here. Uh, This is Hebrews 3. If you want to crack open your Bible, or um, all the text will be right on the screen here as we read um, together. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So do you see how it starts here? I love, I even just love the greeting here. Holy brothers and sisters. 
greets this a family of God who share in this heavenly calling together. We have this mission together. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Or the um, other translations say, consider Jesus or think about Jesus, um, whom we acknowledge as apostle and high priest. This is the phrase we've seen over and over, right? We've seen look to Jesus, hold on to Jesus, see Jesus. Every way he can, he's going to tell us, you got to turn your focus to him. You don't realize how many things we're turning our thoughts and our eyes our ears to, he says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. As we acknowledge, uh, he is our apostle and our high priest. So what is an apostle and high priest? So we're looking at Jesus and he is an apostle first. Apostle is the only place that Jesus is called an apostle is here, right here in Hebrews. Um, and an apostle is someone who is sent. We've, we've talked about this before in other books where people call themselves apostles. Someone who has been sent by God brings a message uh, good news to people. We see this uh, said about Jesus uh, in a few different places. In John three sixteen through 19, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not uh, believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So you see in the middle there in 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. God, he's the ultimate apostle. He was sent to bring good news, to be the good news. Also, we see in John 20, 20 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. So here's a passage where we see God has sent him. He's the sent one to bring this good news of this gospel, to be the gospel. And then he also calls us to be sent out as well. He also then calls him a high priest. So not only is Jesus the one who's sent, he also is the high priest. So why would he call him a high priest? Well, actually, later in Hebrews, he's going to get a little more into detail of why he would call him the high priest. And this is what he says in Hebrews 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So he's talking about the duties of the high priest, who is, um, we see, is like a representative of God. He's like the one who is doing these special sacrifices and, and being a mediator between God and, and the people. And he said, he says he keeps doing this, but it doesn't actually take the sins away. But here, Jesus as high priest is different. But when this priest, talking about Jesus in verse 12, had offered all time one sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool for by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy so it's saying he's the high priest who came and by his sacrifice instead of sacrificing animals his sacrifice for himself made it right for all people. So he, he's not only the, the apostle who's come to bring a message sent, but he's sent to then become the high priest and the sacrifice um, and die. So he's remind, this author is reminding us of this, this great, great history, this great history of God's people, of that there were these high priests and that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. We're going to get to hear all about that as we get farther into Hebrews 2. But what, a, what an interesting title. It's the only place where Jesus is called that, um, that we see in Scripture. So we keep moving on here. He 
was faithful to the one who appointed him. He's talking about Jesus here, right? So we fix our eyes on this Jesus, who is the apostle, the sent one, and this representative, the mediator. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. So he's faithful to God, just as Moses was faithful to all God's house. It's interesting. So he's, we don't see Moses coming here yet, but he's going to go, you know what? I know how much you appreciate Moses. I know how much Moses is the greatest of all time. But when you think of Moses and think of how faithful he is, Jesus is also faithful, appointed to what God has done. Well, how faithful was Moses? Moses really is is a key, if not one of the the top character, the top person uh, in the Jewish faith, right? We we think of people know of Moses even if they don't know scripture. People who aren't Christians or, or Jewish or uh, all over the world, you say Moses and people are aware, part of the Red Seas, right? He held the big tablets up. It, it's, it's interesting. Moses is this person who's known for really the, the core, huge historical moments in the Jewish people's lives. He's the one who God uses to lead the people out of slavery and frees them. He's the one who's given the law and interprets it, brings it as a messenger, is sent down the mountain to the people to say, this is God's law, how he wants us to live and what life looks like. He speaks for God's people to God. God speaks to him and he is able to give, tell that to God's people. He manages and, and leads God's people, his household. He becomes his representative of God to God's people. Often when God's people are straying, he's the one saying, no, 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 come on, come on. We must worship God. In fact, um, the, uh, a well-known, maybe one of the most well-known historians of first century um, Jewish culture and just culture in the Middle East was Josephus. And he says, Moses was the noblest Hebrew of them all. And this is just even from his assessment of talking to people and trying to understand and write a history of those people in that time. He says, oh, when you hear the name Moses, he was the noblest Hebrew of them all. A little picture of Josephus there. Sport a nice beard, Josephus. Now we also, this Moses is, is so well known. He's such the greatest of all time that it has carried even till now, right? Thousands and thousands of years later, we still use Moses as a term. In fact, Harriet Tubman was called Moses because she would lead people to freedom. People would call her Moses or Mother Moses. Just amazing. Books are written, children's books are written about her calling her Moses. This idea that Moses is the one who led people to freedom, was a messenger for God, oversaw uh, God's family and was faithful to God, um, it really puts him at this next level place. Um, we even see this in scripture as they describe when Moses died in Deuteronomy 34. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, Often that term is used, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And as the Lord had, as the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. That's kind of wild too. He's like, the, he's one of the few that kind of just went to be with God. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his, his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains. Um, uh, of Moab 30 days 
They love this man until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He's someone who really knew God. And no one has been like him, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, rescuing God's people, the, the plagues that came down to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to this whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Moses, I mean, the greatest of all time. And so our author here is talking to a people who would see him as the greatest. You don't touch Moses. He's the greatest. And he's saying he was faithful. Yes, he was good. He was so good. Jesus is also very faithful. And so he he wants to say, in fact, we see here in verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. You thought Moses was faithful and good? Jesus is even better. Jesus is even more faithful. Jesus has rescued God's people from slavery, of sin, death, and Satan forever and all people of all times. He brings a message, the gospel message, the good news that rescues people and brings them salvation. He's sent to us to make us a family. He speaks for God because he is God. He is king of God's household, his whole kingdom. And he's our high priest, not just representing God, but he is God making payment for our sins himself. He's a greater Moses. You think Moses is great? He is, but Jesus has done far greater. He is worthy and greater than Moses. You see, how does that work? He gives us this great analogy of how to think about this. He says, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. He's saying, just like if you have a house, the person who built it has greater honor. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. He wants to say, Moses is great, but Jesus is greater. I think, just to stop for a second, there's a few places in here that um, reminds me of how much, when I'm reading scripture, I can bring my own perspective, like the own water I'm swimming in, right? This culture we're in, and the way I view things around me and the way I'm, I'm told things work, I can bring that to scripture and then kind of like have to warp and turn scripture and mold it so it fits that. Or, or I just hear a word and I go, oh, I know what that means. Uh, and I think this is one of them where it says house. I go, oh, I know what a house is. And it says, well, Jesus is like, uh, God is like the builder of the house. And that the builder gets so much more glory, so much more honor than just the house. And I think, oh, I, I guess. So if I just bring my perspective, this, this really doesn't mean a whole lot. A house has greater, because I, I, I don't know who built my house. I, I probably don't know who built your house. I even looked for a little bit. I'm like, there's got to be a document somewhere of like who built my house. I'm sure it's just the name of like a company that built my house. I don't have any, any honor towards the person who built my house. I might sometimes like say, why did they do this? Or... Oh, that's, I'm glad they put wiring in my house. Um, but we don't have the same. I, I want to explain a little bit of this so we get the richness of this explanation, this analogy. Um, a house, especially first century and even still in the world, 
Houses, all, this word also means like house, household, right? This could mean the actual relatives in the house. This could mean the stuff in the house. This could mean the building that, that the house is. This could mean even like other maybe uh, servants or, or house helpers that are in the house. This could mean like your livestock, other people associated with your house, other people kind of in your what you call your family, even if they're not like related by blood. Your household is what this could mean. So imagine, um, to, to understand this, imagine uh, like walking into, let me see here if I have a house, a house. Here we go, ready? A house. Like a stone house that's been there for hundreds of years. A house that you'd walk in that front old wooden door and the fireplace would be going. A house where there'd be three generations of people making dinner by the fire. And in another corner, there would be some people whittling on wood or teaching a younger family member how to whittle. Maybe in another corner, there would be a, a grandmother telling stories to her grandchildren. And maybe her children. As you get close to her, you, you hear the stories of her grandparents these kids' great, 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 great grandparents who built the house they're sitting in, who gathered stones from the field around them, put them together and built this home. The same walls and floor, the same table that for generations has been here. The builder or creator or founder of this household would have such honor in that household. There'd be stories told about how hard they worked to establish this family here. The fields that they farmed around the family. The, the builder or creator, the founder of this household or house gets far greater honor because they're the ones it started with than just the house. The house is great. The household is great, but the founder and Builder is greater. So we get this great image here of our God, who is the builder, who is the founder, who is the creator. We get another, another reminder that God is creator and we are creation, which is a good reminder to have. And in the, in the context of this, that even Moses in all his goatness, his greatest of all timeness, he is still creation. And let's look to the one who is the builder. So as we continue here, it, it says that again, Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. See the difference there? Moses was a faithful servant. We should honor him. But don't stop there. He's a fellow family member in the house of God. Jesus is the son of God. He is the builder, the creator. And Moses just bore witness to him. Another moment in Hebrews where it says, hey, Moses was great, but he was ultimately pushing us to crescendo to Jesus, the greater one. So as we wrap, as we end this passage here, it gets to something that's very encouraging to me. 
It says here that Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. So what is that house? We are his house. We sit around and talk about our great, 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 our our mighty God who, who founded us, who built us and built the house and the land that we live in, that we live around. And he is, he's created generation after generation who can faithfully follow him. So what does it take or what does it mean to be in his house? Well, it says right here, if, so it says we are his household, if, what's the, what is this if? So what do we need to do? What does it look like to be in God's house? If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. That's, that sounds very churchy. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. It's saying, if we hold firmly to our hope, Jesus, to where we have confidence in Jesus, then we are in God's family. It doesn't say you're in God's family because you did all the right things or that you were even born into the right family You have to look a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. You have to know a certain person except Jesus. You have to hold firmly your confidence in Jesus. This reminds me of when we were uh, just a few verses ago talking about drifting. He used this term of drifting. Imagine being on a boat. Waves are starting to come in. And you have to decide what you're going to tie to your rope so that you won't drift, so that waves won't take you away. What's going to lead you to feel confident and hopeful that your boat's not moving, right? What are you going to tie to that rope? You got a metal anchor there that's heavy and strong, and you know that if you throw that in there, it's, you're not moving. You have confidence in it. Or maybe you have an old tackle box, right, that you could tie the rope to, or maybe some boots, or maybe... Your friend who's fishing with you, you could tie a rope around his waist and throw him in the lake. Right? If, if I throw my friend in the lake with a rope around him, I have little confidence and little hope that we're not drifting. In fact, he might pull us somewhere or he might get pulled with us. That's disastrous. But if I put my rope on the anchor and I throw it in there, I have confidence and I can have hope. And having confidence and hope holding to that makes me a member of the household of God and brings me peace and joy because confidence and hope in something that actually holds us brings us peace and joy. This brings us to another moment that I noticed bringing um, my own view of just the world in 2021 to scripture and being like, I I'm not sure how this works or even just misinterpreting scripture. This is one where I first read this passage and I said, okay, what do I have to do to hold firmly to Jesus? And I pictured myself by myself in a house. And I pictured myself sitting down at a table reading scripture. And I pictured myself praying and I pictured myself uh, ser- serving in my house, making myself <laughs> food. And it's interesting because I think the culture I'm in, I'm quick to say, how is this about me? 
And what do I do? And I think it's really, really great that God uses these terms like household and he says, we are his household. And indeed, we hold firm to our confidence and hope in which, which we glory. It's a moment, friends, to remember what does it take to hold firmly and I'm not alone. I might start thinking, I just need to read the right book, listen to the right podcast, or listen to enough podcasts, or pray enough, or just have like the best killer quiet time, you know, just going to dig into this devotional book and, and I'll be fine, right? I need to work harder, work smarter, work stronger, and I can do this. I can hold firmly. And God over and over is going to remind us that it's a we that's going to hold firmly. And that we as a household get to help one another, meaning if I need help, I'm going to ask for it. I'm going to believe that sitting down in God's word with other people is is valuable and important, that, that their thoughts on that are important, that God's going to use them to teach me. But also I'm going to look for ways that I can move into other people's life and help them hold on. I see the rope coming out of their hands and I'm going to grab it and hold it with them. I'm going to move towards them when it looks like they're falling out of the boat, right? Okay, now a lot of there's boats in their houses. It's, we really are better together. This God created us for this community to do this together. And so I think sometimes we find ourselves in the shed behind the house and everyone's in the house telling stories and cooking and singing and caring for each other. And we think, okay, I can do this. And we're missing out on being in the household of God. And you know what? There's people around us that are missing out on the household of God. That's the last thing I think I want to encourage us with today. There's people who are going to learn about the builder, creator of our household. They're going to look, they're going to learn about who our hope is in and what the true anchor is of us. They're going to look and know where we're fixing our eyes, fixing our thoughts. And that's going to tell them a lot about who God is and who Jesus is. And so just as someone visits your house and it tells a lot about who you are, my prayer is that as people visit us as the household of God, it would tell them a lot about who our God is and that we believe that there's lots of great things God's created but that Jesus is the greatest. That there's amazing people that God has given us, but Jesus is greater. And if nothing else, as people see the way we love each other, they would know this God must love these people well.